Welcome to NBNR, the authority on unfiltered opinions and authentic player insight for Nebraska athletics. Connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and at nbnrpodcast.com. We have a saying, no block, no rock. You know, we just really love Hunter. He's a junkyard dog. Hey, Kenny Bell ran up to me. He's like, you know what you just, what you just did? <laughs> you get mad. You went to go get in the portal and go to another podcast? You know, usually dumbbells are in pairs. They had five dumbbells. Hey, <laughs> gone it, Muhammad. GBR. Go Big Red Indeed, No Block, No Rock, Season 2, Episode 42, coming at you once again from the Nebraska Brewing Company Tap Room in 108th and Harrison in Lavissa, Nebraska. Guys, let's talk about what we're drinking right now. Mike, what do you got over there? I'm sipping on that Shake and Bake IPA. I'm back to my training bra of beers. That's okay. Uh, Really good beer. Good for a summer day, although it just started downpouring here, but right, uh, very hot outside, and it's a, it's a refreshing beer. Yeah, it was like 90. Actually, the real fill is probably over 100 today. My car said 101 on the way here. God, dude. So, just baking. Yeah, that's perfect for a ginger like you. God. <laughs> Kyle, you're holding up your glass. What you got over there, man? I got the Taco Vesa. Taco, Taco Vesa? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like Mike said, it's hotter than hell outside. Like, it's not even like roll your windows down in cruise weather. Like, this no. is like... Bust the AC. Yeah. Like, we're killing the AC out here. Like, even if I... Yeah, even if I break it, I'm yeah. still blowing that. I got a motorcycle. Not riding the motorcycle in this. Like, it... it yeah. Taco Vesa, perfectly, uh, like, light beer for anybody that wants to step in here and give it a shot. It's like one of my go-tos. Yeah. I'm also drinking a fairly light beer. It's called the Poblabanero. So close to Taco Beza, in terms of language. A little spicy. <laughs> a little spicy. It's got a little bit of kick to it. Not too big of a kick. No. Like I, like I said last week, I loved it. It's So Mike's training bra IPA thing, NBC's Pobla Banero is like the training bra of that Kincader jalapeno beer where it's just like, oh, God, that's a little too much. It's like just a touch. It lets you dip your toe in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I have. <laughs> and it's very refreshing, and I don't regret getting it. Okay, guys, we brought on a very noteworthy guest. His name, as our listeners should be familiar with, he writes for The Athletic covering Husker sports. Mitch Sherman came on, and guys, I was thoroughly satisfied. I mean, he he gave highly detailed answers to everything, Kyle, what you were saying stuff about him? Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it's been awesome to have him on because he like confirmed a lot of the talking points that we've been talking about since January 2021. <laughs> yeah, like really, like literally, like all the big points that we seem to like argue over or like you know have heated debates about. Like he just kind of confirmed what we've all kind of come to a conclusion on, which has been so satisfying. And let's cut to that Mitch Sherman interview. We are 53 days out from kickoff in Ireland. And we wanted to bring a fairly uh, noteworthy guest onto the NBNR podcast. We have with us Mitch Sherman, the uh, sports writer for The Athletic who covers Nebraska sports. We want to thank you for coming on and uh, dedicating uh, some of your time tonight. Yeah, glad to do it. Um, Good to be here. I like your setup. This is nice. Yeah can see the uh, how the beer is made in the background. Uh, yeah. Sample a little bit of it, have some pizza. Appreciate you guys having me. Sorry that uh, it took like a month to make this happen, but it was, uh, you know, 
the month of June, while it's not the uh, the heart of football season by any means, it was like, okay, we do this, uh, you know, Monday nights. And I'm like, well, this Monday doesn't work. This Monday doesn't work. That Monday doesn't work. <laughs> See, it seems like I'm way busier um, when I had that conversation than I actually am. Um, <laughs> like the life of a sports writer in the summer is actually, it's okay. Um, you know, sometimes people in my profession act as if, you know, we're just the most stressed, overworked, um, you know, always on call, um, so much pressure in our, in our jobs. And, you know, I, a lot of times I just, I, I find myself thinking about how, you know, I just get to watch sports for, for my job. They, right. they pay me to go watch sports. And if there's not sports, then we just talk about sports. So really <laughs> it isn't that bad. Even in those weeks in the football season where I am busy and I have like 16 hour days, I'm still watching and talking and writing about sports. So it, it, it's, uh, it works. Okay. I like that because one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you know, you've had, you've had experience working for Omaha world Herald and you did write for ESPN and now you're with the athletic. Is there like a big difference between those? Like, are you, do you have to meet a certain quota? Like how does, how is writing for the athletic different from all those other companies that you've worked for? Well, the athletic is awesome. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'll give you the company pitch, but it's, it's great. And it's a new company. Um, but now we're an established company and I've been at the athletic for a little over three years and, and we were purchased this, this last year, um, by the New York times for wow. like a lot of money. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it lended to our legitimacy as a, as a company and we're a separate newsroom. We know we're not the New York times. They have their staff, their editorial staff. We have ours. It's just security and like some 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 professionalism additional professionalism we already had professionalism at the athletic you know tons of legitimate um experienced um mm -hmm. acclaimed renowned um writers you know far that far exceed me in the in the the teams and the sports that they cover all over the world in fact so the athletic is is the best place that i've worked it's fantastic the freedom that we have to to write the stories and produce the kind of content that we do you know whether it's through the, the, this kind of medium like a podcast um, you know, short form journalism, long form journalism, um, game coverage. There's, there's, there. I've, I've not worked at a place that um, allows me to be as creative and do the kind of things that I want to do as I have these last three years. So that's fantastic. And the big thing is it keeps me here. Um, you mm -hmm. know, we're sitting here in Omaha, and I've lived in Omaha all my professional career. I grew up in Omaha. I went to school in Lincoln. Um, I didn't want to, after a few years into my career, go out into uh, a professional market, you know, and cover the NFL or Major League Baseball because, you know, family considerations, um, that's a tough thing to do. Those people, they actually do work hard 52 weeks out of <laughs> right. some of them. You cover a Major <laughs> yeah. League Baseball team, which that's my sport. Baseball is, is, my, is my passion. Um, like if, if there was one thing I could do every day, it would probably be just watch baseball. But like <laughs> if you cover 160 baseball games plus spring training and maybe the postseason, like you, you, you may not be able to have a life outside of that college football. You, you can, um, despite what, what some in my industry <laughs> might want you to believe. Um, so yeah, I mean, going from the world Herald where I covered all Nebraska sports, primarily football, of course, it drives mm -hmm. the bus for, for 13 years to ESPN in, in 2011. Um, I spent eight years there. It was great. You know, it exposed me to like everything on a national level, you know, a huge company, the worldwide leader, the biggest sports media company in the world. Um, you know, I got to go to Bristol a few times a year in Connecticut and like see 
um, how the sausage is made. And nice. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. Hmm. Um, but at the end of those eight years, it was, it was kind of like, all right, well, you know, do I want to keep doing this, this semi-national stuff and like babysitting these, these potential playoff teams, or do I want to, um, you know, be around the, the program that matters to the people who live around me? Exactly. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I obviously did at the World Herald, and there there was there were some opportunities to do that at ESPN. But for the most time, most part in those eight years, I was um, you know I was in Florida or Texas or Louisiana or California. Um, great, love doing that kind of stuff. But at, I, ultimately, I wanted to get back to to doing what was important to me, and that was that was writing stories that that mattered to people who I lived around. Yeah, well, and you're talking about you know, pivoting essentially and and doing what you like and. It seems like a lot of the people in, in the local media, there's been a lot of changes um, yeah. recently. Just people going to different places. And it sounds like people are taking the, the Mitch Sherman approach and going and seeing, the, seeing other places that aren't Nebraska. And then you see some that are staying put. And so mm -hmm. it is kind of cool that you have that freedom to, to pivot and to be able to cover things that you're passionate about. Well, I've got to say, I mean, I've been lucky for like a quarter century to be able to do this and like, having never been fired or laid off. I mean, there, there are great people around me who have had all of those kind of fates. And, you know, it's, it's some of it's luck. Some of it's just being in the right place at the right time, which I guess is another way to say luck. And, yeah. and then, and then um, you know, trying to do a good job and trying to be um, accountable to, to the people that I work for and my readers, mo most important, um, to be valued. So, yeah, it's, it, can be, it can be a really difficult industry. And I mean, you don't usually have the, the option to say like, okay, do I want to work at ESPN or do I want to work at The Athletic? And that's what I was posed with in, in 2019, yeah. like in the winter of 2019 when I made this decision to, to do this job. And there, there it's, it's, that's few and far between so that, that people get that kind of opportunity. But to your point, yeah, the media industry, the sports media industry covering college sports right now in particular – it's it's super tumultuous. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like it's all over the map. There's people that change, you know, changing jobs, not just in this Nebraska market, but it's a it's a you know, you go to any major uh, university and you, you find the people who cover the programs there and it's the same kind of deal. So, again, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to have the stability that I do uh, have the athletic. You know, we're all in on on covering Nebraska. We're all in on obviously on covering college football. Um, there's a passionate fan base here that. Uh, fortunately, wants to read about this team and hear about this team, even when they suck. Um, exactly. Even when they suck. Right. Preach. Which, yeah. Which, you know, obviously, uh, there have been some instances of that in recent years. Yeah. So, some. Uh, I'm being kind here. I'm yeah. trying, trying to be diplomatic. Uh, you don't have to be. But, uh, I mean, I have it give me another beer. Yeah. They were really shitty last year. Yeah. You know? There you go. Yeah. That, and I, that's kind of like our our thing on this podcast is, you know, you have the the people who give the fans the sugar-coated bullshit. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have a platform just to say, like, no, we suck. And it's not okay. It's not acceptable. And, you know, I, I feel like, like you said, passionate fan base, rabid, if you will. <laughs> um, Nebraska owes its fans to do the best that they can in their flagship sport, considering how supportive we are. Yeah, you could say there's nothing else here. But we dedicate money, time. We go to the games, tailgate. This guy, freaking, he's a freaking fiend. <laughs> it's like, you know, no, they, they should be able to do everything that they can and, yeah, be good at least. There's a limit to everyone's patience. There's a line that Nebraska doesn't want to find where its fans lose interest. Yeah. And I, I would hate to see it 
because my own livelihood is dependent on Nebraska fans staying engaged. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, staying rabid, staying interested. And they're not, I wouldn't say all that far off from some apathy setting. In. in fact, I mean, some apathy has set in. Look at the stadium on a, on a, on a regular Saturday in the fall. Look at it last year. You know, it's, there's not 90,000 people there. And I get the fact that there, right. there, there weren't 90,000 people or 80, whatever the capacity was in the, in the 90s. There weren't necessarily 76,000 at every game. If they're playing Kansas and it's a, it's a, a tw they're a 28 touch or a 28 point favorite, mm -hmm. um, you know, some people don't use their tickets, but you know, that, that this is becoming more of an issue now. Um, yes, they sell all the seats or they give away all the, sell the seats that they, that they don't yeah. sell. It's a, you know, it's a sellout. The tickets, you can't walk to the box office at kickoff and purchase a ticket. So right. whatever, you know, it, you, you're splitting hairs. You want to call it a sellout? Fine. That's keep your sellout streak alive. That's that's great. Good, good. Yeah. But <laughs> the reality is there is some waning interest. It's easier to get much easier to get tickets today than it was when I grew up here, when I went to college in, in Lincoln and they won national championships. And even in the years after that, when the team was relevant on a, on a Big 12 level, um, even early in the years in the Big 10, when Nebraska played in a conference championship game, yeah. um, it's different than that right now. And there are options and opportunities for fans to do different things on fall Saturdays. There, You can watch the game at home on your big screen TV. It's just, and I, you know, I, and I think Trev Alberts is doing what he needs to do to try to look at that. But he can't win games for the team. No, right. He can decide who the coach is, mm -hmm. you know, which is a, a, a question that he is being posed with right now here in, in 2022. He's got a big decision ahead of him if things don't go um, resoundingly well in, in the fall that's ahead. Um, that's one thing he can control, but he can't control so many other variables out there that, um, you know, are essential to the success of this team, to, to, to the viability of Nebraska football for to that, 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 that matter to Nebraska football fans and the people mm -hmm. like me who, you know, live it and breathe it um, for my job on a, on a 52 week out of the year basis. Now, you know, you bring up the point about Trev Alberts having a rather difficult decision ahead, you know, unless of course he goes, Frost goes out and wins 10 games and it's pretty apparent, but yeah, then it wouldn't be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at or, all. Or if he wins two, then it shouldn't be difficult. Sure. Right. But there is a middle ground there. And this is what I want to ask you. And this is just me talking. This isn't these guys, but am I crazy in thinking that five and seven is going to be sufficient enough to keep Frost? And let me back this up a little bit. Um, it'll be two more wins that they had last year. So that's a, that's a plus. He hired all these new assistants. So they didn't have time to gel, right? To have a successful season. And I feel like, Nebraska wants to avoid, they have the Frank Solich hangover, right? They don't want to be accused anymore of, we let our coaches go too early, just like we did with Frank Solich, some would argue. So I think with those reasons, five and seven doesn't seem all that outlandish to keep Frost. That's just me. So I think the, uh, the last piece of criteria that you mentioned there, that they've, they've, they've shown their patience. Um, Nebraska's had five consecutive losing seasons. Yep. If you get to a sixth, no one's going to accuse you of being impatient after making a change. You wouldn't, th you wouldn't think, but there's going to be that portion okay, there, of the fan base out well, there. There certainly that, is. You know, Frost could go zero and twelve, and there's a portion of the fan base yeah. that 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 are going to want to keep him. Yeah. He could do it again in 2023, and some people would make excuses for him and say, "Well, it's this, it's NIL." 
it's the transfer portal. Yeah. You know, it's the change in the in the system. It's it's Lincoln. It's the expanding Big Ten. It's it's whatever whatever you might come up with. Um, Trev Alberts is not going to be is not going to be sitting there, you know, resting on that. Mm-hmm. Um, could they go five and seven and keep him? Yeah. Um, it 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 depends what it looks like. Right. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the metrics, and there are specific metrics that are being withheld from the public. Fine. Yeah. The metrics are not what determines whether Scott Frost comes back in 2023. The metrics are put in place, and you read it right in the contract, to determine if he gets a bump in salary that's being taken away from him on October 1st, and that determines if he gets his contract extended beyond where it is right now. I think it's 2027 or 8, and it would go, it would yeah. go another year. Whatever. He would get one more, one more year, a rollover. If he meets those metrics, there's nothing that says that he keeps his job or doesn't keep his job if he meets the metrics. So in theory, he could fail to meet them and still come back for another season. Yeah. On a, on a lesser contract, essentially. He'd be making less money and he wouldn't, he wouldn't get rolled over. He would be compromised. It would be used against him in recruiting. Mm -hmm. It would be even more negativity um, in the off season a year from now. So that's not a situation that Nebraska wants to find himself in is, is that gray area, but it does exist. I'm not sure that everybody understands that that does exist. I think people feel like, Hey, the reason Nebraska is keeping these metrics a secret is because you can't just have a number out there and say, well, if Scott Frost meets this, he keeps his job. If he doesn't meet it, he gets fired. That's mm-hmm. not really the way that it's phrased. Although, um, you know, it may or may not play out um, exactly like that. I, I, I think what matters the most is is how the team looks, and close is not good enough. Um, yes, you, you go zero and nine in one score games. You go zero and ten, 0 or zero and eight in one score games. Zero and nine in single digit games. That doesn't look good. No, no. there there is a, <laughs> no. there is a there's a narrative that was spun um, throughout last season and in this off season that that looked good. That was close. It doesn't look good to lose every close game you're in. When your only three wins were by three or four touchdowns or more, seven touchdowns in the case of Northwestern, that doesn't look good if you lose every close game. I, can, I can't say that and stress that enough. Yeah. That's when the coaches make their money. That's when coaching matters. Yeah, that's, exactly. that's when strategy and, and recruiting and talent development um, matters is in the games that are decided by eight points or fewer, so or ten points or fewer, whatever metric you want to use. But mm-hmm. – um, so how do they look in those games? Um, how do they look in the, you know, do they beat a team that they're not supposed to beat? Do they upset Oklahoma? Can they, can they play close with Michigan, the, the, the college football playoff team from last year on mm-hmm. the road? Do they win in November or is it just all stacked up early in the season? Right. You know, what is the offense showing, showing the, the leadership at Nebraska? Does it, do you see it coming in this first year? Because it's not really fair to just give these offensive coaches one year and say, okay, you didn't do enough, goodbye. Right. And that is what happened to Solich. Um, so, but I, I, that, was, that was also 19, 18 years ago. So it's just, it's, um, you know, it's not a factor in, in this situation. Trev Alberts has shown that he's not Steve Peterson. And I don't, I don't think that, you know, what, what, that they should be hamstrung by their, you know, um, bad decisions of, of, uh, uh, that, that exist way back in their history. So we got into a heated debate a couple weeks ago talking about whether or not, you know, we have all these close losses um, and everything that, yeah, Linning, everything that went on in 2021. (laughs) And the biggest question that we kind of debated about was like, are we seeing progress from the time that Frost walked in the door to where we are right now? 
Yeah, in some ways, uh, in some ways, uh, in, in a lot of ways. All right. When he walked in the door, things were in difficult shape, as he and others have reminded us yes. over yes. Many, many, many times. And it probably shouldn't have been brought up after the first year. First year, you want to say, hey, this was a, this was a tough job to walk into. Fine. Year two, no, it's no longer, it's no longer a, a, a talking point. Mm -hmm. But it, it has remained a talking point for some still today. Hey, it was a mess. It was a mess. Mike Riley left it a mess. I will say, Mike Riley was a dead man walking from the day that Sean Eichhorst was let go yep. in the middle of that early in that 2017 season. Yeah, nor he Northern Illinois. He didn't have a chance after that game. That right. was in part his own doing. He didn't have that team ready in 2017, early in the season. They came out slow. They lost to Northern Illinois. His 80 got canned. He was dead. The yeah. whole staff knew it. <laughs> yep. The players knew it. So yeah, two months later when they fired him, it was a mess. I wonder why, you know, it's mm -hmm. in part, in large part, his fault. But, um, you know, let's not go and use that as an excuse for everything that's happened from December of 2017 until July of 2022. After the first 12 months, it's on, it's on this staff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think in an honest moment, they will tell you that, but uh, we do continue to hear some of that. So, what was the what was the the question again? So just just oh, is it better? Is it better now? Have we have have we seen progress? Yeah, and, I, and mean, I I think I think what we kind of decided was like there is progression in a lot of areas, and then regression in a lot in in some areas. At that moment in time, when the coaching change was made after Thanksgiving in in 2017, yeah, things are much better in the program right now, but there's still a lot of dysfunction. And there have been things that have happened on Frost's watch that you never would have imagined could have come up. The Oklahoma debacle yeah, last, yeah. last spring, um, the way that Nebraska lost some of the games that they've lost in the last four years, you know, rivals the worst moments that Mike Riley had in 2015 through 2017. You remember the, the Illinois game um, that Riley coached in his first year where they botched the clock at the end of the game and you thought, I could never imagine something worse happening. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> it has. Yes. Argu arguably. Worse. On Frost's watch multiple times. Yes. So um, they have made progress in a lot of areas. Uh, I think they are a more stable program than they were at the end of 2017. But that 2017 team was 12 months removed from winning nine games in 2016. Mm -hmm. Didn't season didn't end the way that people wanted it to in 2016, but there's a lot of people now who I think would take a nine win season that oh, didn't, yeah. didn't end the way you wanted it to. So it's a complicated answer. Yeah. I think for the most part, the program's in a better place in part because they've had more resources to, to make it, to put it in a better place. And because of some of the work that uh, Frost and his coaches and the players have done. This takes me to a mailbag question that you received, and I apologize to that guy for not getting his name, but he asked you, do you think Nebraska came as close to seven, eight, nine wins as the narrative of some would suggest? And you said, mathematically, yes. Realistically, no. Psychologically, hell no. Yeah, my editor loved that line. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did too. Um, if you could just ex expand on that a little bit more, the, the psychological aspect that you feel that this team – that burden that they just cannot clear. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the those words kind of say say it all. I can expand on it. They they have there's a there's a mental hurdle, and 
they admit it. They, Frost has, has mentioned uh, on several occasions over the last three years that this team just needs something good to happen. Right. Right. That they have to have, a, we got to get a break. Yeah. We're not getting a break. Well, sometimes you create your own luck, but uh, mm -hmm. often you create your own luck. I would say they have at times been unlucky, but more often they've created their own bad luck by the lack of attention to special teams or uh, the problems with detail on the offensive side, the inconsistency at the receiver position, the um, behavior off the field. I mean, you could say that with, uh, you know, like the Maurice Washington situation um, and the way that that was, that was handled. I think there was a double standard in the program on, mm -hmm. on certain things. Um, the pandemic and the, the fallout of the 2020 class with the number of players leaving certainly didn't help. And I think that bled over into recruiting the past couple of years. It's made things difficult. They've, they've had to make decisions when they weren't fully informed. They've had to take players who didn't get chances to come um, on visits like they would have. They've lost out on local recruits because they weren't able to invest in them the way that they might otherwise have if they could have gone and visited their schools. But these are all things that programs around the country deal with. And I'm sitting here making excuses when that's not what my intention is. I don't think that excuses should be made at this point in the Frost regime. Psychologically, uh, they are fragile and they've been fragile for the entirety of the time that he's been here. And it goes back even to, I would say, the middle part of that 2016 season when they were, what, 7-0 and and started losing. Mm -hmm. And there was a there, that 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 mentality cropped up. It it stayed in 2017, and then it stayed the entire time through the these last four seasons. So they weren't close to winning those one loss, those one score games mm -hmm. last year. There was a sense of dread. Um, you all saw it against yeah. Iowa. Oh yes. God, I was we just going to bring it lead. up. Saw it, felt it. In my bones. You all saw it against Michigan State when the punt return went wrong. It's like, how could that happen? And the what game the, wasn't – There's no one there. The game wasn't technically lost. Nope. It's going to overtime. Who's played better the whole second half? Who's played better almost the whole game? But I, I was sitting in that press box that night. And I was kind of losing my mind because of the situation with me on deadline. That's a night game. That's a whole different conversation we could have. That is a moment where this job is stressful. Yeah. I don't, I don't, the, the uh, you know, the, uh, the doctors of the world don't have anything on us sports writers in that moment when you're covering a game and it's 11 <laughs> o'clock and all of a sudden it goes to overtime. Those are crazy moments for, for people in my, in my position. But um, it's uh, yeah, it, it, that, that was a game where you just knew when it went to overtime, it wasn't going to go Nebraska's way. You certainly had that feeling, and it's been that way in overtime just about every time they've played overtime yep. the last, you know, the last decade uh, or close to the last decade. I think the last overtime game they won was the uh, the Iowa game in in fourteen. Pelini's uh, at the end of, yep. of Pelini, the Kenny Bell pylon catch. Yep, right. So, um, the, that those are the psychological things that I'm talking about. Yeah, and I just I just want to put an exclamation point on that point. Like you know, in all the years watching Nebraska football. You know how many times I've gone, oh, that's the game. Oh, that's the game. Oh, it's over. There it is. And it's not really over. You know what I mean? Like, it's just me being a bitchy fan when something goes wrong. They were still up. But Mich it. Michigan State and Iowa last year, oh my God. That, was the most, I, that was the most confident I had felt that, yep, it's over. Well, yeah. I mean, you're forgetting another one, Michigan. I mean, all we had to do, we had yeah, the, the ball. Yeah. Literally go seal the game. Go win it. And then 
you have a quarterback who's a fourth year starter fumble the ball. I mean, it's just things like that. they're cursed, aren't they? <laughs> that's Is, that, that situation, and you know, I'm 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 probably more of an Adrian defender than than most. Um, partly because I like him. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I like the attitude that he brings. I yeah. get that he, did, he, that he did not perform in the clutch in his time at Nebraska. Right. I mean, go back to like the, the Ohio State and Iowa games his freshman year and say, okay, he did. He did then. Um, didn't didn't uh, get victories, but um, he did. He did put the team on his back and, mm-hmm. and keep them in the games. But really, after that, when the clutch moments came up, you know, I think it was a psychological hurdle with him too. Yeah. Um, and the Michigan situation was, I. I don't know. I mean, um, I, I think it was it was a it was a questionable uh, late whistle, but hold on to the ball. Yeah, um, hold on to the ball. You know, yeah. I think everybody would. I think everybody looks at that and says, "You just got to hold on to the ball." And I've heard Adrian talk about it too, and he says, I, I, "I I blew it. I didn't hold on to the ball." So yeah, I don't like to put it all on him, but he definitely deserves to get some of the um, you know some of the, the the negative feedback just because he's in the most pro- he was in the most prominent position on the team for four years when they went 15 and 29 yep I didn't start everyone just just about just about every one of those yeah. games um yeah that that uh that was one that it just uh it seemed like it was there for Nebraska again because of the way they dominated in the second half much there in the fourth in late in the third quarter and through the fourth quarter much like the Michigan State game. Um, the Oklahoma game and the way that Nebraska came back in that game last year, um, I didn't have in any way, shape, or form a good feeling when Nebraska got the ball at the end with an opportunity to drive down the field and uh, what at least tie it. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I just just had been there and seen that before. There's teams and there's players that you watch in football at every level, high school, college, and pro, where you would say, "Put me in that situation with a minute left or a minute and a half left." Give that guy the ball. I feel good about what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And I've not felt that about Nebraska football in a long time. Right. Okay, we are back on No Block, No Rock. Now, we already talked about what we were drinking. Mitch, what are you drinking over there? I'm drinking this No Bock. Got mm. a little uh, caramel uh, undertone to it. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's good. Goes well with pizza. Enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goes well with pizza and podcasting, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... Mitch Sherman is drinking the No Bach, No Rock. So if you come in here in the tap room, it's on tap. So now, get it. Big old, big old microphone. You can't miss it. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's just hanging there. Pull it down. Get some. It tastes good. Okay. Now, before we went to break, you know, you were talking about how um, you, you, do, you watch this team and you don't sense any confidence in them in, like, clutch situations. One of the guys that they brought in, was Bill Bush, a guy that has been a subject of many um, conversations. And you yourself, you you wrote a great piece in The Athletic about Bill Bush's pursuit of like Javario Burks, mm-hmm. Prince of Mucamara, Eric Haig, Marcel Jones, him going into Arizona and getting those guys. And the thing I want to ask you about Bill Bush is, you know, how much pressure is this guy under? Because we look at him as the savior of special teams. He's a special teams savior, right? He's going to make us be number one in the, all the special teams metrics. Like, <laughs> is, is there like too much pressure on the guy right now that we expect so much in so little time? I think Bill Bush likes the pressure. I think that Mickey Joseph is another guy who is under a lot of pressure and that's when he operates best. It's probably not a coincidence that both of those guys 
came to Nebraska from LSU, Bush two years ago, and, mm-hmm. and Joseph this 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 off season. SEC is a different kind of pressure. It just is. I mean, if you're at Ohio State or Michigan, fine. Nebraska isn't too far behind that, but there isn't the same kind of pressure at Nebraska right now that there is at those programs. If you win ten games at Nebraska right now, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, you're, yeah. yeah. If you win ten games at Ohio State or LSU right now, you might get fired. <laughs> yeah. So <It's> crazy. <laughs> Yeah. So I think he enjoys that. I think he thrives in that. Uh, I think it drives him. I don't think that he needs the pressure to uh, to work hard, but um, it comes together for him in, in a good way. Some coaches might respond well to that. Others might not. I think Bill Bush is in the category that does, and that's the kind of guy that you want. Um, to give you a little background uh, on the, the piece that you mentioned, so mm-hmm. that this was – uh, a project that I've wanted to do really for a lot of years. And when I came to The Athletic, I pitched this story, this was back in 2019, as something that I'd like to do that's different and outside of the normal coverage that you see about these five players who Bill Bush recruited to Nebraska from the Phoenix area into the 2007 class. Mm-hmm. And we got... Uh, through the first year of covering the team. And, you know, there were a lot of things that were hitting well and I didn't necessarily need to write that story. And I looked down the road, you know, maybe we'll do it um, in 2020. Well, then 2020 was just a, a screwed up year. And then Javario passed away um, early in the in the pandemic. And Javario Burks was the centerpiece of those five players. He was the headliner as a recruit. He was a top 100 player. He was coveted by USC and Florida State. Um, in today's age, I think with more exposure on all that those guys do as recruits um, and some of the camps that you have an opportunity to go to, I think Javario Burks would have been a five-star player. Um, of course, being in Phoenix, there was plenty of exposure for him. He could have still been a five-star player. He wasn't, he wasn't far from it. Um, bottom line is the Nebraska coaches felt that he was a top five pick in the NFL draft, not top five rounds, like top five in the first round when he started as a true freshman on the offensive line in 2007. So he passed away in 2020 from a brain aneurysm um, after having, you know, you say, oh, he was top five pick. Why didn't he play in the NFL? Well, he he had major health issues that predated his time at Nebraska and Mm -hmm. didn't get managed properly after the coaching change at the end of the 07 season. And Bill Bush was, of course, part of that staff. Bill Bush recruited those guys for Bill Callahan to Nebraska. And there's always fallout from these coaching changes. You know, we talk about Scott Frost and we talk about Mike Riley, you know, like these things are just, you know, cut and dry. Um, they affect a lot of people when there are coaching changes. And mm-hmm. Nebraska made the right move in 2007 to get rid of Bill Callahan and to bring in Bo Pelini. Well, a player like Javario Burks, he fell through the cracks. He didn't have the same kind of support on Pelini's staff that he did on Bill Callahan's staff, where he knew Bill Bush from recruiting, where he knew Danny Wagner, the offensive line coach, um, and had a great relationship with him, where he had a good relationship with the head coach, who was, if nothing else, a guru when it comes to the offensive line. And it's why Bill Callahan continues to coach offensive yeah. linemen in the NFL today, 15 years after he was fired at Nebraska. So yeah. Burks was a victim of that coaching change and, and it affected him in a negative way. And in one of those ways, it, 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 they lost track of his medical situation and it, it cost him his football career. Um, his, uh, his kidneys, he had issues um, that again, went back to his childhood and they didn't get managed right at Nebraska in his second season. So 
likely they were related to his failing health um, in 2020 when you know there were all kinds of issues that were outside of COVID. If you had some other kind of medical condition, it often went unchecked and unnoticed. And that's what happened uh, presumably with Javario Burks and he died uh, two years ago, this, mm-hmm. uh, this, this May. So I, you know, I'm getting way off track here on your question, but I did want to, I did want to talk about the story. Um, since you brought it up, yeah. uh, I, we're 15 years, we're 15 years removed from these five guys being recruited by Bill Bush to come to Nebraska and lo and behold, Bush is back on staff. So I thought this would be a great time to sit down with him. Um, I actually went to, to, uh, uh, Jabario's high school in, in Glendale and saw some people there who remembered him and, and got, ended up getting a hold of his high school coach, uh, who wasn't, who no longer works at the school. And I, I focused, I focused the story on, on Jabario, but of course talked to Prince Mukamara, who was Jabario's roommate for a period of time, you know, Marcel Jones, who was an offensive lineman in that class with Jabario and, and was also one of the, the Phoenix kids, um, Eric Haig who was a memorable uh, defender on Nebraska teams in yeah. 2009, 10, 11. Uh, you know, he had an interesting story to tell in his own mm-hmm. right. Will Yancey was, uh, um, was a guy who went to, school, went to high school with Eric and signed with Nebraska in that class and, and had sh- a shoulder injury early in his career that, that you know, was a more, a more normal kind of uh, uh, medical situation that ended his football career, un- unlike Javario, who, who it, was, it was unusual. So, um I put that story together. It ran a few weeks ago. And like I said, it focused on Jabario and it focused on Bill Bush and just the job that he did in finding those guys. And he was relentless as a recruiter. And I think that's something he can bring back to Nebraska, not just as a recruiter, but as a special teams coordinator. His attention to detail is relentless. Do I think that Nebraska is going to have the best special teams units in the Big Ten this year? Probably not. But are they going to be the worst? I don't think so. I really don't. I think, God, okay. we can only yeah. hope. Mitch, Mitch Sherman is on record. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. They won't be worst. They're, no, I think I think they'll be good. I think that it, it's it's finally an area of the team that they are devoting attention to in in 2022 for the first time in in the the, the proper amount of attention. I know that I, I hey I I think fondly of Javon Dewitt, who was the special teams coordinator and. Um, outside linebackers coach and, you know, coached through a season when he was going through cancer treatment at yep. Nebraska. Right. Um, two seasons where he was impacted by by his his own medical situation, which was life-threatening. And, you know, he ended up at North Carolina. Um, I think I think he's since moved on from there, but a uh, good guy. He had too much on his plate trying to coach outside linebackers and do special teams and, you know, deal with his own life outside of football that was presenting some challenges. And I think Mike Dawson had too much on his plate yep. last year as the outside linebackers coach and, and special teams coordinator. You need somebody in this conference where the margin for error is so thin, especially in the Big Ten West. We talked about all the one-score games and yep. single-digit losses. Well, that says the margin for error is really thin. And often in those situations, special teams are what produce victories. And look around. Uh, many of the teams in the Big Ten West have special teams coordinators. And if they don't, they probably have a proven system that – is entrenched and a culture where special teams is clearly emphasized and they don't have a giant glaring problem with special teams like Nebraska had has had for several seasons now. So I think they've finally turned the switch on that and have made this change. It's probably not going to get fixed overnight, but they've done the job um, as best they can to make it happen this year by bringing in a scholarship punter, by bringing in a scholarship kicker, uh, both as transfers from the FCS level, by recruiting some, 
uh, high school players and junior college players whose number one uh, contribution to the team this year might be on kick returns by stressing to all of the defensive backs and running backs and linebackers and wide receivers how important it is to be on the coverage and return units. So I, I think that will that will help. I don't think that you're going to see the the same kind of repeated um, – Disasters that Disaster. we've seen on special teams. <laughs> Dumbassery. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and to your point on the Big Ten West, what are the three teams that we consistently lose to? It's Iowa, Wisconsin, and Northwestern. Those Northwestern is like 50-50. You know, it's always a close game. But Minnesota in that category. It's yeah. Like oh, yeah. 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 Minnesota. Yeah. And, and those are all teams that just don't screw up. They just yeah. wait for you to beat yourself. And so if – we and, and from the time that we started in January 2021 to now – that's all we've asked for. Just get somebody, a special teams coordinator. Just get somebody whose only role is to make sure that special teams doesn't go awry. Yeah, I think right around that time after the 20, 2020 season, I was I was writing about it. Like, if you do anything else this offseason, hire a special teams coordinator. And that was the year uh, going into, uh, well, going into 20, actually, was the year they went um, with an analyst, uh, Jonathan Rutledge, yep. in the special teams role. That was a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that did not work. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I wrote about it after the 2019 season, so early in 2020, um, calling. And I'm not saying that. I, I don't I – don't, Scott Frost knows a lot more football, obviously, than any of any of us in the, in the media. And, you know, yeah. he has to run his program the way he wants to run his program. But I do think there's an element of stubbornness there, too. Yes, and I think arrogance. That, I think that – when uh, people had told him or suggested, you know, what through in person or through the media to do this, do this. I think there's a part of him that has wanted to show that he could do it a different way. That's not that's not healthy. Um, right. You should do things the best way, the way that they work, the way that they make they make the most sense. I get that he would have to take a coach off the field who coaches a position to coach special teams. But it's 10 percent of your staff, 10 percent of your assistant coaches less than 10% of your of your staff, much less than 10% of your staff when you talk about all the support roles that you're allowed to have now and analysts mm -hmm. and in, interns. And, you know, they got in trouble for having an analyst do too much. So <laughs> yeah. let's not, you know, maybe, maybe back away from, from that a bit. But um, they, they should have done it earlier. They should have done it two years earlier um, at a minimum. And I think some of the, some of the heartache uh, that we've seen these last couple of years could have been alleviated. Yeah. Well, and we had even talked about it like on one of our first episodes. We were talking about Beamer Ball. Beamer Ball. Like, Frank okay, Beamer. if you're not going to hire a special teams coordinator, take it upon yourself. Scott Frost has been GA. He's, you know, he, he was at Northern Iowa. I mean, K State. K State. He know. Like, it's not like he doesn't know how to coach special teams. I understand. He was a special team standout in the NFL. Exactly. Himself. Yes, exactly. He was under a lot of good tutelage. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you are going to be stubborn or arrogant, in my opinion. Uh, not hiring a special teams coordinator, take it on yourself and and take pride in that unit. You knew it was a problem. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Bill Snyder did that for years and, and you know, at, par partly himself and then as an extension with his son, Sean, mm -hmm. to emphasize special teams at Kansas State. And I think it was, at first, the number one driving force that, got, that took Kansas State from doormat of the Big 8 to national championship contender in the Big 12 in less than 10 years was that they emphasized special teams. Yeah, they emphasized junior college recruiting and they kind of owned the Kansas JUCOs and, and did a really nice job with their system and they had their own version of the option offense and got some good athletes in there and running backs and defensive backs and they, 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 they ball hawked in the, in the secondary. Great. But the first thing that they did was pay attention to special teams mm -hmm. and start blocking kicks and start returning punts and yeah. kickoffs for touchdowns. And Nebraska 
uh, it got snake bit by it a few times, uh, usually in games that, that the Huskers managed to win because they were that much better than Kansas State talent wise. <laughs> Um, but eventually, you know, Kansas State got them mm-hmm. um, when they when they did build up that talent. And 98 was the first time and they had a Heisman Trophy contender, um, a Heisman Trophy finalist, I believe, in Michael Bishop that year. So but it started with special teams and it started with the head coach, knowing that special teams was important and not just stressing it and having a coordinator who he directly oversaw his son, but also um, taking it upon himself to, to coach that part of the team or help coach that part of the team. Frost didn't really have that availability in his daily routine the last four years yeah. because he was so involved in the offense because he was calling the plays. Yeah, right. Matt Lubick to a lot to, to rely on a bit the, the last couple of years. But, you know, Frost was still he was the engineer of that offensive system. And I think I think legitimately uh, he's stepping away. We'll see. Um, well, you'd hope so we'll with Whipple. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Hashtag we'll yeah. see. I'll believe it when I see it. We'll see. I, I still think that, that it's a little bit convoluted. And I, I I was scratching my head a few times. Again, they know more football than me, but I scratched my head a few times in the spring when I listened to and sometimes you have to read between the lines. You know, the stuff that they say at these media sessions, it really can be I, and you know that that for me that probably goes I probably have the benefit of having heard these things for twenty years plus. Right. So I know I know <laughs> how to filter um, in a lot of cases, probably know how to filter better than some of the coaches who are trying to trying to uh, mm. not have it filtered. And there you, you know, go. So I've been doing it longer than, than some of them, certainly yeah. all, all of the players. And there was a day when the tables were turned on that and the players were talking to me when I was young and stuff was going over my head. Um, I don't, I, hopefully that doesn't happen a, as much now. And you know, my read on it in the spring was that, yeah, it's Whipple system and they're really emphasizing uh, install the install of his passing game and Casey Thompson is going to be, he is potentially, he has the skill set to be the right guy right. who can do the kind of thing that Kenny Pickett did last year. But Scott still wants to have a lot to do with the way the offensive line blocks. And he still wants to have a lot to do with the way the run game is schemed. So you get into August and they start making that game plan for Northwestern. I real I I wonder how how it comes together. And then on game day, how it comes together. How it what happens in a game where they're down a touchdown late in the third quarter and the offense hasn't been playing well. Who's calling the plays then? Who's mm-hmm. who's saying yeah. you know? I I we'll see. I, I it, it's best for everyone if he can truly step aside because that's that's all that's left. You might not have said that a few years ago. You might have said never ever ever. You know, like Tom Osborne. He wouldn't he should never step aside from calling plays. He's a genius. And you know, Frost, where did he learn? Right. He learned from the master at that at that. So, why would he ever want to step aside? Well, you've tried for well, 4 years and you're this, 15 and 29. That's why. It hasn't worked. So, you <laughs> got to try something different. And I don't think you can go back on that. I don't think you can change midstream if you start to face some adversity, if you start to have, um, you know, whatever kind of drama or uh, dysfunction that could prop up. Something's going to happen in August. Somebody's going to get hurt. There's going to be a disagreement. Mm-hmm. Um, something's going to happen. And in that moment, how is he going to react? Who's going to who's going to take control of the offense? Um, I, 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 I would say that if I had a vested interest in this, I would be concerned 
that Scott is going to want to step back over that line and you're going to have two cooks in the kitchen and it could, could potentially lead to a problem. <laughs> Ever since Mark Whipple got hired, we've talked about, you know, how he's the wily vet. You know, he's the guy that's going to call out the bullshit. He's going to be the guy that if he senses that you're being cute about something or you're, you're drawing up a play that's not necessarily uh, necessary, I guess, you're closer to the program. Is that the kind of um, impression that you get from Whipple that he's just the guy that's going to say, Scott, I've been doing this for so many years. Shut up. Let me do it. I don't think he has any problem expressing his opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he, yeah. And that's a good, and, and that's why I think, I, that's why I, I think, I can't say that I have been told this firsthand, but I, my, my read on the situation is that Trev Alberts wanted and encouraged Scott Frost to hire somebody who had a strong, um, a, a strong will and was not going to be afraid to go to battle if he needed to, mm-hmm. um, to implement his offense. Um, I don't think he wanted a young guy in there as the OC. I think he wanted somebody with experience who, frankly, doesn't really have much to lose. If Mark Whipple coaches here one year and gets his $2 million, yep. <laughs> he's going to go back to Scottsdale and it's not going to impact him one bit other than having some bruised pride. And I think he'll get over that in about 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> so right, his, his career is, is set. Yeah. What he's done, his legacy, his, his, uh, you know, the money that he's earned everything. It's, it's fine. This is, this is the, the final opportunity for him to, to do one more thing, to make one more stop, to help turn around one more program. Maybe to, maybe it could be his greatest accomplishment, or maybe it could just be something that, Gave him some money for retirement. Payday. And, you know, it's just kind of all forgotten. Well, that didn't work. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. That's too bad. Unfortunately, people in Nebraska have a lot more invested than that. Yes. Um, but the good part about that is he's not going to be afraid to go down swinging. So I do think that that um, that is potentially a good thing, that he's going to stick up for himself, that he's going to do what what is needed to to get his system there. And if that means telling Frost to move out of the way and let him do his job. We'll see. I mean, we'll see, we'll see how that, how that's met, how that will, how that, what the reaction is um, in there with, within the coaching offices, if they ever have, have to have that discussion or if they've had it already, I don't know. Yeah. And so you're talking about Whipple, how his, you know, legacy is already kind of cemented and he doesn't really necessarily need to do that much anymore. That's kind of where I'm a little worried is if Scott tries to dip his hands in that pot, Whipple's going to be like, Okay, you brought me here. You're gonna you're gonna fuck this up. I'm gonna get fired. I'm gonna get paid anyway. So you know what? If you want to try to get your grubby little hands in this pot again, have at it. Because I'll just get fired, and so what? It can go either way. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It just kind of depends on with Whipple. You know what the what what's what's inside his head in that moment. You know, does he dig his heels in and say, "No, we're gonna do this my way," and if we both go down, so be it. Or will he throw up his hands and say, "Hey, it's your program, man. You, right. you, have you can go it. down with the ship. It's, this is your name on it." It's so Im- it's impossible to know. Yeah. You, you would think with a guy who's been through as much as he has and has and has had the experiences, not all good, but has had the experiences that he's had in coaching, just the number of stops that he's had. That in in in, I think we all can assume this is his last coaching job. Um, that that he's that that he's going to he's going to give a shit. That that he's going to you know to want to do it right. And if that means ruffling some feathers, okay. He'd rather do it that way than just, I, I think, than just throw up his hands and say, yeah, you, 
you you made your bed. I don't yeah. I don't I don't think that's going to be his mentality. And and part yeah. of that is from the few conversations that I've been able to 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 have you know in a, in a group with with Whipple. I think he's got a strong personality. I don't think his personality is such that um, he's going to give up easily. Yeah, Mark, take charge. <laughs> You're, you're our only hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so it's July 5th, right? Two new commitments have come through. They've, today. They've, today. One, I think, a couple we hours were, ago. Right before we, were, before we went, in, went on, uh, on taping here. Yeah, Dylan Rogers. Yes, there you go. And yes. Omarion uh, Miller, right? Yes, Omarion so, Miller, wide receiver from Louisiana. Yeah, yeah and... Mickey Joseph putting in work. I don't think we had any doubts about that that he would right. recruit like a madman. Um, what are what are what's the your first impression? You know, a couple hours in, you know, what have you digested about these guys that you know should give us Husker fans hope? Hopefully. Well, I I don't know anything about Dylan Rogers other than you know what I read before his his commitment. I, I think I I learned of that. I saw his tweet while we were getting ready to uh, to start taping here. Um, Miller. Yeah, I was I was out and about this afternoon and uh, wrote wrote up a story on him on my phone. Um, you know, maybe the reason that I don't feel as much stress sometimes from this job is because, uh, you know, I, I don't I like I, I I didn't run home and you know spend two hours. Uh, <laughs> so let's get the news. Let's get the news on the uh, on the site. Um, the athletic. I, I will say this in all seriousness, like. They, we, I said, we get, we get freedom at the athletic to write stories the way we want to write them. Like I'm going to write something big about O'Marion Miller at some point. Mm -hmm. And, but I'm not necessarily, um, needing exactly needing to, to, to run and do that today. Like Nebraska fans are going to want to read about him in August or September yeah, right. or Absolutely. later this month. Let's see, let's see where this recruiting class goes. Let's see how the season starts. Let's see if he stays committed. Yeah. If Nebraska loses a game in September and mm -hmm. you know, he might be the headliner of this entire class. He's a top hundred player. He's a four star. Um, looks good on paper. I mean, if you can get a kid that LSU wants, I, I reached out to our LSU writer as soon as the news came on Miller this afternoon, Brody Miller, who, is great and has been a great resource for me. I hope I've been a good resource for him as Nebraska and LSU have had this incestuous relationship um, in, in, in recent months in trading coaches. And, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff that's gone on between these two programs. Brody's great. And I said, Hey, did O'Marion Miller have a legit offer from, from LSU? Cause you wonder that um, when yeah. there's a Louisiana guy who commits to Nebraska and he said, yeah, they brought him in on a, on a camp visit recently and they liked him. So yeah. Mickey just went out and beat LSU for a Louisiana guy which is crazy to think. I mean, like it's, it's, we, you can look at that in Nebraska and say like, okay, Oklahoma came into Nebraska and beat the Huskers for a player last year in Caden Helms and mm -hmm. a player this year in Cade McIntyre from, from, from Fremont. Yeah. Well, Oklahoma is a perennial big 12 champ and, <laughs> right. you know, future SEC program. Um, they are a college football playoff uh, regular. So yeah. Okay, I could see maybe how a kid from Nebraska <laughs> might be interested in going to OU. Right. But this is arguably more impressive, or maybe inarguably more impressive for Nebraska to go to Louisiana and find not just one, but Mickey has has gotten numerous players out of Louisiana now. Yep. You know, pulling a guy like Trey Palmer off the roster. And I get it. There were issues with Trey Palmer and, and, and Brian Kelly, the new coach at LSU. Maybe he didn't have um, a full invite or, or he would have had to do some things to get back on no 360 team. camera but, right but he's a good player right like the recruits yeah <laughs> he's not part of his family um yeah but, uh, <laughs> family yeah but 
my son can do that better than anybody. <laughs> He's uh, we <laughs> have a good time. But uh, he got DeColdest, uh, DeColdest Crawford out, out of Louisiana. So um, no doubt uh, Mickey Joseph is doing a good job in recruiting. And that, that's probably the, the main takeaway I have from the from the news of, of today, July 5th, on, on what Nebraska is doing and picking up these commitments. There are 13 now on this class. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 uh, it's taking shape. And it's taking shape in a different way than what happened in that 2022 class, which all came together late and then needed a, uh, a boatload of transfers to, uh, you know, to rank in the, in the uh, respectable regions of the Big Ten. How I would love to be a fly on the wall whenever there's a visit that comes through and Mickey Joseph is the main player. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just, I need to see it. Because like you said, Nebraska has not been good. And so when if they can they can poach a Louisiana bred wide receiver from LSU, it's like, what is is he selling snake oil? Like what is this dude? Is he putting something in their drink to make them like, woo? I don't know. Like what I, is he doing, man? I honestly think Mickey is just Mickey. <laughs> and you don't need to be a fly on the wall in an official visit to get a sense of why he's appealing to recruits and their parents. If you listen to him in an interview, I think you I think you kind of get it. There's yeah. some guys who are real in their interviews. There's some, well, I'll, I'll say the opposite first. There's some coaches who aren't real in their interviews and you get very little sense of their personality, who they are, how they might come across to recruits, why they appeal to players, whatever it might be um, when they're in front of the cameras and talking mm-hmm. to people like me. And then there's Mickey Joseph, who I think you see exactly who he is when he's out there talking. And that's just the way that he chooses to do it. I'm not saying that the guys who hide their personalities from the media are are any worse for it. Um, all the NFL coaches do it. I mean, this right. is like the Bill Belichick model. You have no right. idea who that guy's a robot, you know, and there's all mm-hmm. kinds of NFL coaches and it seeps down to college. Um, he's a robot in front of the media, not, not in his real life. Right. And it, it seeps down to colleges. There's, there's plenty of, there's, there's coaches who just see, say that it does, there, there's no benefit for me to go out there and talk to these guys like I really am because they're just going to twist my words and these guys and, and women um, in the media, they're just going to twist my words and you know, it, it, I don't see any, I don't see any, any payback in any payoff in mm-hmm. that in operating like that. So I'm just going to be the, I'm going to take the Belichick model. Mickey Joseph does not do that. Mickey Joseph is is very real. Um, so I think that appeals. And he that works for him, and that appeals to people. And he's just he t- he tells it like it is. He's uh, you know probably not everybody is going to like his style. Um, you know, we saw a prominent player in Xavier Betts leave the team mm-hmm. over spring break this year. And I don't think that it was because he didn't get, he didn't jive with Mickey Joseph. I think Mickey and Xavier were okay. I think it had more to do with Xavier's um, lack of love for the game of football. Yes. But I also think that Mickey wasn't going to sugarcoat it for him. He was going to be real. And that didn't work in that moment for Xavier Betts. So mm-hmm. it works for a lot of kids. Um, clearly, he's had a ton of success appealing to these players and their families from Louisiana. That's where he's from. He knows the culture. He understands what they want to hear. And I, and I think he genuinely believes what he tells them, and, and people can see that when, when they're talking to him and being recruited by him. Head coaching material? Well, I mean, he has the intangibles. I think he's going to be on the Nebraska staff for as long as he wants to be on the Nebraska staff. I mean, 
I can answer the question the way that you want me to answer it. Or I don't <laughs> want you to, I don't or want I you to just dance around it. <laughs> I don't No, I don't think that he's going to be Scott Frost's successor. Um, because I think Trev Alberts, if he's put in that position to have to find a new head coach this year or next year, mm-hmm. that he's going to value head coaching experience yes. a lot. Especially in this era where head coaches deal with more than they've ever had to. The NIL piece is immense in what an athletic director needs to consider as he or she brings in a head coach. So Mickey has a job on every Nebraska staff for as long as he wants to. He's 54. So, yeah. you know, he wants to work at Nebraska till he's 65. Great. Please. He, he can do it. Yeah, Second he, I mean, coming of Ron Brown, right? <laughs> hold on. It's, it. it's July, so they haven't played any games with him as a coach yet. But from all intents and purposes, what we can see from afar, uh, damn good head or not head coach. Uh, oh, that was a, a Freudian slip he's there. A, he's an associate head coach. Yeah. yeah, associate. yeah. Damn good associate okay. head coach. What does that mean exactly? What's associate head coach? What well, is that? Well, it's a title to get to get him a, uh, uh, the authority the, the uh, to get Trev Alberts and Scott Frost the authority to pay him more money. Yep, so. okay. that's what we assumed. Yeah. Okay, let's t- let's touch on the last topic. It'll be a fun topic. USC UCLA are slated to join the Big Ten in 2024. Shit, I hadn't heard that. You hadn't heard that, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Do you think there are more to come? Do you think this they're essentially going to take the NFL model of two super conferences? What do you think is going to be in the future of college football? The NFL model of Fox versus ESPN. <laughs> yeah. People keep saying Big Ten and SEC. I'm like, no. No, it's network versus network. Exactly. <laughs> well, that has a lot to do with it. And, you know, I kind of joke, but Fox and it's – ownership of the Big Ten Network and its agreement that is coming with the Big Ten in the media rights package that is likely going to be announced, I don't know, maybe before this podcast goes <laughs> is, is, is posted yeah. um, th- this month, in the month of July. I mean, I'd be shocked if you don't get an announcement from the Big Ten on its media rights deal that, that goes into effect a year from now. Um, the, current, the current deal expires in the summer of 2023. So they get a, a new one next year upwards of a billion dollars, um, which if you divide it by 16, you're talking about 65 million could be more. Um, if it's more than a billion, you know, Hey, what's 1.1 billion when you're talking a billion, <laughs> you're right. so, you know, just give every team another, another 10, 10 million or so, um, you know, 16 teams, of course you have to, the, the pie is split is split more, um, more widely. Um, but the first year it's just 14 teams. It, it may be a situation where, uh, the money is bigger in year two when USC and UCLA are in there. Yep. Um, it's, it was important for the Big Ten to announce this this round of expansion before it got all the way to the finish line on the media rights deal because obviously having USC and UCLA makes the Big Ten uh, more valuable to Fox and to whether it's ESPN, uh, ABC, CBS, NBC, Amazon, wh- whoever – is doing uh, Big Ten games, streaming and, and, and broadcasting Big Ten games. Um, and I'd expect it's going to be a, like a multi, more multifaceted approach than what the Big Ten enjoys right now when the, the pot is like $780 million. I mean, it's still $55 million a school. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So I, I take some issue with the um, 
with the narrative, go back to, we'll go back to narratives with the narrative that um, these schools can't afford NIL, um, that all of the donor money is going to be going to the collectives and there's going to be nothing left for these schools and they're all going to start to go bankrupt and nobody's going to be able to build facilities. Nebraska's open a $165 million facility next year, a year from now, in July of 23, for football and for its its whole athletic department uh, to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the tip of the iceberg on what they're going to do with Memorial Stadium. I think that project at Memorial Stadium, and Trev Alberts has been out surveying fans for the last however many months, you know, for the portion of this year. I'm sure you guys saw the survey. You got Every, the survey. Everybody, oh, yeah. yeah everybody got it. the survey. Survey. Um, you know, that project, whatever they decide to do, and it won't be everything that was in there, but whatever they decide to do, it's going to be more than $165 million. Yeah. So where's that money going to come from? If donors are giving all their money to collectives, first of all, they're not going to give all their money to collectives. Um, they're going to give some. Yep. It's going to come from the TV rights, from the multimedia rights. And the Big Ten is about to hit the jackpot with multimedia rights, in part because it's adding USC and UCLA as two extremely valuable properties. So if you have the opportunity as the Big Ten to go out and get more valuable properties who increase the value of that, that, whole, that whole pot, you know, even, with, even if you go 17, 18, 19, 20, when you divide it up, if the money that's coming in is more to each school, then it's worthwhile, it's worth doing. You know, screw tradition, screw the rivalry games, Get rid of the trophy games. I mean, yeah. this is not me saying this. <laughs> yeah. this right. Is, this is the this is the accountants. This yeah. is the in, money the talking. Accountants. Yeah. Right. The accountants. Yeah. So, um, I think that a lot of this is is going to happen at the expense of some of that tradition, and you're not going to be able to see um, the Big Ten cling to some of its uh, some of its its past in the way that it has. This is no longer the cozy little conference. Um, you know, the last major. Uh, you know, okay, I'm sorry, Rutgers in Maryland, but <laughs> the, the last seismic move that the Big Ten made was adding Nebraska yep. 11 years ago. 12 years ago, it was announced. 11 years ago, the Huskers came in. They were the long-awaited partner for Penn State, which joined the league in 1990. That's when the Big Ten went from 11 and from 10 to 11, and it mm-hmm. was 11 until Nebraska came in and made it 12. Look how fast we're moving now. Yeah. After they waited 30 years for a Penn State or 20 years, sorry, for a Penn State partner. It's going much faster. Yeah. And it's all because of this huge money. So, yeah, I do. The Big Ten would take Notre Dame today. Um, if that works, great. That's priority number one. After that, we'll see. Will they go after Oregon? looks like that's a possibility would they go after a stanford or a washington or a tcu you know maybe another school from the big 12 it depends on what happens with the big 12 the big if i was the big 12 in the pac 12 you know i'd quit cannibalizing each other and trying to tear each other apart and say hey we have an opportunity maybe to make something if we combine forces I don't know if they're on that same page. Both of those leagues have new commissioners. The Big 12, a brand new commissioner. Yep. The, the Pac-12, um, you know, he's been there for a year or less. So can they figure out a way to, and I'm just, you know, talking out loud here. Can they figure, I have no inside information. I haven't even really heard this speculated, but there are enough big players, I think, between what's left of those two leagues to make a legitimate conference. I don't believe that they'll have the um, the savvy to do that. I think the SEC and the Big Ten are going to are, are, have taken over 
and are going to are going to tear those leagues apart because the money that they're going to be able to offer is more than what could be produced if say for example the Big 12 and the Pac 12 tried to combine. This reminds me I'm a huge Seinfeld stand when when uh Kramer and Newman are on the subway and they're playing that game of risk and they're going around and Kramer Newman's worried about his Ukrainian troops and Kramer's like the Ukraine is weak. They offer nothing. And it's like we're looking at this map and we're going this team will will produce revenue, this team won't. Mm-hmm. Out. Yeah. And it's like gosh, me and Mike, one of our best friends, he's a he's a Iowa State football fan. Like this dude, he has it tatted on his arm, okay? And one of the one of the things I look forward to is watching an Iowa State game with him because he is a freaking I don't enjoy it actually. <laughs> I'm I'm more amused and entertained well, yeah. than anything. There you go. But it's like it's sad because it's going to take away that what brought us to college football in the first place. You know the regionality of it, the rivalries, and even though Iowa State and Nebraska aren't in the same conference that have been in a while, it's just like the games that he's going to watch from now on. What are the stakes? Yeah, you know the sad reality for Iowa State is that in spite of having a great coach, great football coach, yeah. and a competent athletic department, um, they, and I don't I don't mean that like in comparison to any other athletic department, I just think Iowa State is, they, they do a nice yeah. job yes, with the resources do. that they have. The Big 12, by losing Oklahoma and Texas, and then adding four more teams that they have to split the revenue with, all of those remaining schools, all of the, 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 the schools that are left behind with, OU and Texas's departure are taking a huge hit in the amount of money that they're going to earn. So great. You got Cincinnati and Houston and BYU and UCF, and those make for some probably pretty entertaining football games yeah. on a, on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday night. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy watching it. Yeah. But the schools are going to suffer at the end of the day because mm-hmm. the bottom line is not what it is, not close to what it is with Oklahoma and Texas. So Iowa state, you're, you're left to look for an exit. And I don't necessarily mean the school, but I mean the people who are most desirable within the school. And that really sucks for, you know, Cyclone Nation. Yeah, especially with Matt Campbell. You know, I mean, he's... Jamie Pollard. Jamie AD. Pollard, a hell of an AD. I mean, yeah, Nebraska probably should give him a call. But, I mean... We got Trev. Trev, Trev's Trev. fine. He's fine. He's a Nebraska <laughs> guy. But, could go, you know, <laughs> yeah, we love that. So, no, yeah, I think the, the whole uh, Iowa State thing is kind of tough because it's like, Going back to your statement about rivalries don't matter, trophies don't matter, you know, an Iowa State fan would say, oh, well, you know, but we play Iowa. It's a rivalry. Oh, Nebraska, Big 12, Big 8 rivalries, you know, but you don't make a lot of money. The revenue just isn't there, you know. It's cold and calculated, right? Like you said, the accountants yeah. said this, not us, <laughs> right? The accountants. I mean, at some point, like if, if conference rivalry games are going to be a victim of expansion and larger, um, larger... Uh, pools of teams within leagues, then the non-conference games don't stand a chance. I mean, your Iowa-Iowa State rivalry, goodbye. Um, I mean, I hope it stays. I hope they find a way to make it stay. I hope that, you know, there's protected opponents inside and outside of conferences. But, um, you know, the most likely scenario is that divisions are gone. You know, divisions, divisions, they're they're on their last last breath. When when USC and UCLA come in, forget about it. You're not going to have an eight team West and an eight team East. It just, it's just, it it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Um, So you'll have probably three protected opponents and then a rotating group of six that you play 
for a four-year period and then maybe another six for the next four-year period. And Nebraska fans would say, okay, give us um, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin. No, I thought you meant Ohio State. No, again. Ohio State. Again. Ohio State. Again. Protect your rivalry. <laughs> but, you know, who are USC and UCLA's protected opponents going to be? I don't One know. of them is going to have to be Nebraska. Yep. Nebraska's the, you know, the new kid on the block somewhat within the league doesn't have these trophy games with all these schools and it's geographically on the right side of the league san diego to, right to so nebraska fans are probably gonna get a trip to la every other year because i would guess that usc or ucla probably not both but one of the two are going to be an every year opponent for nebraska football i'm okay with that i'll go to i'll go to la yeah yeah oh, hell yeah give me lincoln riley every well, every year right well i'm <laughs> Careful Until the wish. games happen. Yeah. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. <laughs> well, and you brought up the the NFL thing was, you know, AFC, NFC. Each of those conferences have the four divisions. And I think they're gonna they're gonna add Oregon and Washington, and that's gonna be that West. Yeah, now of then, those four then, and then then they could be protected with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. so that travel is easy because a lot of people make fuss about the travel. Oh, USC has to go to Penn State. Well, maybe once every ten years I'll have to do that or something. But uh, this brings up something that I have on my mind. There's this, you know, notion that the Big Ten likes to screw Nebraska in terms of scheduling and officiating. Now, what I want to ask you, Mitch, is with the Big Ten, you know, scheduling Ohio State and Nebraska virtually every year, does that just show the confidence that the Big Ten has in Nebraska's brand and knowing that they're going to get those eyeballs? Like, does it just kind of confirm like how they view nebraska like a brand they're going to bring people to the tv sets money's going to be spent like why would the big 10 want nebraska to be three and nine wouldn't they want them to be competing for conference championships like do do you kind of get what i'm asking here yeah i mean to answer your question about officiating and scheduling i don't think it's anything calculated i think it's just general incompetence Okay, uh, <laughs> that's fair. I I, I think it's I the same way. I will accept that. Yeah, it's the same. I I, I no, nobody's out. And, and the only time the only time I ever like kind of turned my head in a curious way was at the end of the run in the Big Twelve. Oh, right. And you know the Texas A and M game yeah. in 2010. The some of the stuff that happened in the 2009 game against Texas at, huh. at uh, Jerry World. What happened? I no, mean, no, no, no. And no. I don't even really mean putting a second back on the clock, but but just, uh, it, you know, the, the there's a pass interference call that I so I'm 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 uh, I'll be I'll be doing a podcast uh, with my coworkers Andy Staples and, and Max Olson in the upcoming hours or days where uh, we we've all re watched that game. Oh, the sweet. Um, oh, wow. Uh, Nebraska Texas game. And Andy, uh, you know, who does, who does pot great. He's great at podcasting and, and as a writer and, um, covering national college football, he's been doing these, these rewatch parties. Um, and then he'll have a couple writers on, like I listened to the one that he just did with Georgia, Alabama from the, uh, the Tua game where Tua came off the bench as a freshman and threw the touchdown pass to win the national championship yeah. and had, uh, he, Andy had, um, Aaron Suttles, our Alabama writer, um, and Seth Emerson, our, our Georgia writer. And it was just fascinating to uh, to listen to their stories about that game. Um, I hope that that Max and and I um, can bring that same kind of insight and and energy and and uh, entertainment value to our rewatch party of of uh, of Texas Nebraska. But as I as I rewatched it, I definitely thought like, eh, man, that was 
that was that was definitely that was questionable. Suspect. I, I don't see that happening in the Big Ten. And I know there's been bad officiating over and over. Sometimes, um, a couple things. Sometimes, as a team, um, you put yourself in position to have bad calls uh, against bad calls made against you mm-hmm. because there's reputation or there's just a, the officials. Officials are human. They look for mistake. They look for some teams to make mistakes more regularly regularly than they do other teams. And that's an error in judgment on their part, but it happens and it's part part of football. Um, And then uh, the other thing I was going to say is that Alabama or Ohio state, you don't hear them cry too much about the officiating because they're rarely in position for bad calls to cost them games. Mm -hmm. So Nebraska is always (laughs) Always, in <laughs> well, bad always calls like cost it games. As so, a, it's, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and then every fan base kind of has has a uh, you know a a a complex about officials too, and it's <laughs> it's um, it's a lar- it's a big one right now at Nebraska just because of the uh, uh, the place that the that the program is in. But yeah, absolutely, the Big Ten is a better place, is a better conference if Nebraska is relevant and yes. winning games and competing for championships. That's why Jim Delaney wanted the Huskers in this league. Yep. Thank you, Tom Osborne. <laughs> you know, who knows, you know, if we're still in the big 12 and we've been having seasons like we've been having recently, who knows where Nebraska would be? Would they be with the basement K state, Iowa state, hmm. even Baylor? like even Baylor might be left. It's like, it's crazy. Who knows? Yeah. But looking in hindsight, that move was just grade a freaking prime rib, <laughs> for yeah. for stability and finances for tradition and and you know uh some people's favorite restaurants you know maybe not <laughs> right <laughs> all right well mitch um just plug this is the the time of the podcast episode where you just plug yourself where can people find you if you want them to find you yeah well first enjoyed being with you guys um, likewise yeah absolutely had a good time um you guys you guys uh do a good job here. So this is fun. I'd, I'd, uh, if you're listening, I'd encourage people to keep listening. I'll, I'll, uh, become a regular listener. Now I want to hear what you guys, uh, what you guys have in store for your, uh, your listeners down the road. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Um, you can find me, um, at the athletic, you know, go download the app and, and go to the website and, and check out all the, all the great stuff we're doing, um, with our, with our business, uh, with our growing business, um, with our, our backing and our support from the New York Times. Um, you know, I think it's it's a super exciting place to work, and uh, the products uh, that we're putting out there with our with our content um, are just going to continue to uh, um, to grow exponentially. Um, you know, get a subscription; you can get it for a dollar a month, and, and most of the time, um, and then. Um, you know, hopefully when you, when you renew, um, you know, you think it's worth it to right. pay, to pay, <laughs> yeah. the, to pay the four bucks or five bucks a month or, or whatever. I think it is. Yeah. Like if I think it is too. If you're a sports fan, um, it's not just Nebraska football. If you're a sports fan, you know, it's a national college football, it's college basketball. Mm-hmm. It's, do you have a major league baseball team? Do you have a, an NFL team? Do you have an NHL team, an NBA team? Are you a fan of uh premier league soccer? You know, whatever, whatever it is, the athletic um, is, is, uh, is at the top with, with having, having you covered across the board. So go, go to the, go to the site, check us out. You know, there's content you can get on there for free to kind of get a taste of us with our breaking news and our short form journalism. And then, you know, take the dive into uh, some of the deeper stories, like the one I talked about with the, the, the five kids from Phoenix, you know, that I think is worth the dollar a month right there by, by yeah. itself. And we'll have tons yeah. of good stuff, you know, coming up this summer, we're still doing our state of the program series, um, where we, where we take deep dives on every 
Power Five and and prominent Group of Five college football team. We've I've already done Nebraska, and I wrote the Minnesota one that published uh, here in uh, in June. So um, I'd uh, encourage people to uh, to go check it out. Follow me on Twitter at Mitch Sherman, and uh, you know you can hear me on the radio and various podcasts and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You guys before we that. before we sign off, who is your Major League Baseball team? You said you're a baseball guy. Oh God. Yeah. So it's the only team that I have. Like I don't, I don't have an NFL team or anything else. But I'm, I'm a lifelong Kansas City Rolls fan. Me too. Yeah. All right, all right. Cool. Like, Good for you guys. Yeah, <laughs> well, we suffer together then in it's football life, and I, baseball. I, sometimes I say it's a life sentence. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. 2016 happened and 15. 2015. 15. 15. 15. 14 Damn. and 15 happened. Oh no, the 16 were happened. the Cubs. 16 oh, was the Cubs. Yeah, you. They still live rent free <laughs> in your head, right? My bad. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, go do that. Go follow Matt Sherman. Get a subscription to The Athletic. It is worth it. I have it myself. It is awesome. And uh, all right, we'll sign off, guys. Thanks a lot, Mitch. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you once again, Mitch Sherman, for coming on No Block, No Rock. We appreciated all your insight, all your detailed information that you had to provide. Guys, what did you guys think of uh, Mitch Sherman? It was just nice that he didn't show up with a filter on, like, you know, you get some of these local media guys, they, they get kind of a bad rep where it's like, it's all their, their stories are written before, you know, and it's all just canned sugar-coated bullshit. And no, when Mitch sat down, I mean, he, he told us before and he's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna avoid a question. He's like, I'll answer it to the best of my abilities. And, mm-hmm. and he did just that and more. So I, I personally just enjoyed sitting down and just listening to a, a vet that has been in the program and who is passionate yeah about the program and wants to see success and and he feels the same pain that we all feel so to me it was just it was awesome and he he saw it when it was at its best like he's been around since the 90s working with Omaha World Herald and he went to ESPN and now he's at the he is at the athletic and going into that story with Javario Burks that emotional you know side of football that a normal publication might not dedicate their efforts to and do all that research, but he did. And uh, with that unfortunate passing of Javario Burks, he was like, okay, this is the perfect time. So, I mean, The Athletic provides stories that no other publication will. And I th- totally think it's worth the subscription. Yeah, yeah. And just a, just a totally real conversation about the real state of Nebraska football and then where we're headed in this realignment. It's just it's just a lot of good information that, you know, people like us who are on the outside looking in, we're looking for that kind of information. So if he's willing to tell you that right here on No Block, No Rock podcast, then you know he's writing about a lot of juicy stuff in his in his articles and things like that with The Athletic. So, And I think it was beneficial, too, to have him on at this point where, like, it's July. Where are all the storylines? I mean, with the whole conference realignment, I mean, we could have... We could we could dedicate a whole episode to that with yeah. him on here, and, and we, we might, even, and we we, we might, could, yeah, but, but not not with Mitch. I mean, it's there's so it could change tomorrow. It it could change in a year. It's just a crazy time, but it was a great time to have him on because he was able to get into what ails Nebraska, what's been ailing them. You know, he gets into the Big Ten and recruiting, and yeah, it was just awesome to have him on. So. Guys, go to go on Twitter at NBNR Podcast. We're on TikTok now. But yeah, I mean, nbnrpodcast.com. We have merch there. We have past episodes. Handbags. Polos that Mike's wearing. I mean, God, that polo is just... I want to jump your bones. <laughs> Tight. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Um, let's sign off. I'm one of your hosts, Jared Hall. Kyle Byers. And Mike Delaware. And as always, GBR. <laughs>